Boom. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Look, if you're looking to diversify your real estate investment portfolio, gain insight from successful investors and entrepreneurs, and this is the episode for you. We're going to talk all there is about planning for your financial future. So let's get this one on the road. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life. Prestige, wealth, freedom. It can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. These are the real-life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It can be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Boss! All right, ladies and gentlemen, are you a real estate investor who wants to secure your financial future and make ideal decisions about your financial objectives? If so, you're in luck because today's guest is an expert in financial planning and retirement planning tailored to business owners and high income professionals just like you. As a real estate investor, you might have trouble figuring out how to maximize your wealth and create a collaborative financial planning engagement that fits your unique needs. Well, don't worry because today our guest is here and has developed developed a proprietary process to help you do just that. He'll share his insights, tips, and strategies to unlock unique financial planning strategies that'll help you achieve your financial goals. Now let's welcome to the show our financial planning pro, Barry Rodden. Hit it. All right, a little bit of a delay with the clip there, but yeah. we got it going. Barry, welcome to the program, man. Good, good to be here. I, I need that to play every morning when I wake up. I like that little dance party clip. That's what I'm talking about. That'll get your energy growing. Because let's let's face it, Barry, we're about to talk about a subject that to a lot of people isn't the most exciting topic in the world. We, And yet, at the same time, it's the number one reason why they stress they're 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 they end up like me with no hair they get gray like all these things because of the the money factor you know i got a bunch of 17 year old kids here and we talk about earning power how they're just getting started with their earning power and i often say that retirement isn't a, a an age problem it's a cash flow problem so with that i want to like welcome you aboard tell me a little bit about your your history and how'd you get started in this space yeah, by the way, I love what you're telling uh, those high school students who are here, because that's that's exactly right. Um, I started out not like a lot of people, probably maybe like a lot of your uh, folks who were joining us in your in your high school group, uh, not knowing what I wanted to do. Uh, I, I had kind of a big mouth. <laughs> I was a good talker. Uh, so a lot of people su suggested I might be uh, good as a lawyer. And so I actually went to law school, but didn't finish. Uh, it wasn't my thing. I didn't have a passion for it. I didn't love it. I could tell the other people in the in school, we're loving it and digging it. And I just wanted to go to the beach and play volleyball. Um, and so I went across the street to the undergraduate library. They had all these magazines down in the basement, really journals or other, other professions. And I just started wandering the stacks. And I, I came across the Journal of Financial Planning and read a bunch of issues and kind of had this epiphany that perhaps what I was attracted to in law was the idea of clients. But law was kind of negative, And I like the positive uh, helping uh, people achieve goals aspect of financial planning. And so I purposely made a career shift really early on and purposely chose uh, financial planning. A lot of people tend to fall into my industry as almost a second or third career. I've been doing this for 35 years and have never lost the passion for it. It's a 
constantly evolving and challenging industry. And, and we're kind of like you said in your intro, some people find it boring until there's a problem or until they need the money. Or you know, so so the idea is, you know, planning doesn't sound fun, uh, but neither does the consequences of not planning. So we try and try and balance those two things. Now you are, uh, I mean, at least from the research I've done, you're you're really focusing your attention on uh, higher income earners, uh, people who are tend to be like real estate investors, and a lot of them have to. There's a there's a big balance between income, expenses, and investments, um, especially early on in a, in somebody's career where they become. Uh, higher income earners, and now they're they're faced with things they probably never really thought about too well, which is, oh man, I earned all this money, now I got to pay Uncle Sam a big bill. I probably should have been putting money away. And the other side of it is, uh, I made all this money, and I don't really need it all today. How much of it do I put away for tomorrow? Right. You know, the the, the reality is, you can only do three things with money: you can save it, you can spend it, you can invest it. What happens is if people start to make more and more money, the first thing they do is they start spending more, right? The fancier car, the fancier house, the fancier clothes, the fancier restaurants, fancier vacations. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but I think you've got to decide how much you're going to allocate to fun and then how much you're going to allocate to responsible, right? The, the savings and investing part. And I think what happens is, you know, I've, I've met with multiple six-figure earners, couple, meaning the combined uh, income is very substantial no emergency fund. I mean, they're spending every single thing they make, uh, very small retirement balances. Well, at some point, most people are gonna wanna trade their their time and labor for probably at least a little bit more leisure. And what that requires is having enough assets to generate an income so that those assets replace your labor. That's, that's essentially what retirement planning is. Now, along the way, there's a lot of things that can trip you up. I think I saw that in your intro. Uh, especially for business owners. Uh, there's just a lot of things that people are exposed to on, on the business risk side that they don't address because they're so excited about all the, the good stuff. So we try to have a balanced approach of, of help, helping people avoid financial loss and then achieve financial success, whatever that means uh, to them. But, you know, it's been said that more people spend time planning their vacation than they do planning their retirement. And, you know, at some point, either... By, by force, meaning something will change in your life, by health or circumstance, you'll, you'll need to dial back the work. Or if you're very fortunate, you're healthy and you're energized by what you're doing and you keep doing it, um, you just might want to shift how much day-to-day -day you're doing. Um, and so one of the reasons I think people are attracted to things like real estate is it can become uh, a passive source of, of income and revenue if done properly. Um, but even within that space, we've seen, you know, I've do, been doing this long enough. I've seen real estate cycles. I've seen interest rate cycles. I, I had clients in San Diego in my first financial planning practice who thought they were investing geniuses until things fell apart. We've, you know, most of the people who are around, you know, listening now are probably familiar with 2008, 2009. Not everything goes straight up. The stock market doesn't. The real estate market doesn't. Interest rates don't stay the same. The economy doesn't stay the same. You can't base your life on everything being perfect and optimal. Uh, that said, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the world to do some really great things. We just want to help people optimize them. It's a scary time when uh, when we have major changes like that. You talked about 2008 where the real estate market took a dump um, and it went quickly. Like there's a lot of markets that, that went up, uh, and it was awesome when you're riding the wave up. Uh, but when you're, when you're trying to get out and it's sinking, that's a, that's a big problem. 
it's in question right now whether we are in a recession, depending on how you you know define it these days. It's always a little bit different. Um, and there are also tons of baby boomers who are finally exiting the work market, right? They're either closing down their businesses, they're liquidating some assets, they're moving their, their whatever assets they do have, maybe stocks, bonds, mutual funds, whatever it is, into ways where they can start extracting that cash as a lifestyle versus uh, a lot of the accumulation phase that they've been going through. How's that going to affect our market as we move forward, as far as people planning for their retirement, will a lot of big changes like this whole generation shifting a lot of their money, will that have a positive or a negative effect, do you think, uh, on, on how they should be planning for retirement? I think you actually broached two subjects there. One is just the exit planning for uh, business owners. And unfortunately, many of them actually haven't really done enough on the right type of planning. They, they believe their business is in, is in a saleable position. Uh, when it's not, they believe the business is worth more than it is. It hasn't been necessarily valued professionally. Um, and then the question becomes, I've been running this business and I've been running it to generate revenue to finance my lifestyle. Now I need whatever lump sum I get out of this sale to uh, fund my entire life. And what ends up happening is they put that chunk of money in usually in vehicles that were designed for accumulation right, on the upside, uh, when in fact now they're in a completely different phase of their life, which is the decumulation or distribution phase. And they can end up completely decimating 40 years of work in 40 minutes is the way I like to say mm -hmm. it. Wrong decision when you set that retirement income distribution plan up and 40 minutes of bad planning, 40 minutes of bad advice can wipe out 40 years of business uh, you know, build up and accumulation. And so that's something that has to be done very, very carefully and with a completely different set of tools and a completely different set of approaches to deal with things like taxes, inflation, what's called sequence of returns risk. Like what if when you retire the next five years, you'll say the stock market's really flat or really negative. How does it affect your overall principal and longevity of your money? Um, have you planned for things like healthcare changes, like long-term care, inflation, so the goal of an ideal retirement is to have your money last as long as you need to, keep pace with inflation, never run out, and then ultimately, if you don't need anything, uh, you need the money anymore, and you have money left over, you could transfer that efficiently, tax efficiently, uh, to the next generation. As far as it affecting markets, um, I think one of the things you got to remember is that markets are very forward-looking. Right? They they they've usually got all this stuff baked in. They're they're looking down the road. What we see day-to-day -day in the news is just the gyrations of the day-to-day -day, uh, trading activity that goes on to try and generate short-term profits. You can't really change or affect long-term demographic trends. And what you have is this kind of group that's going to retire now, or, you know, actually has been retiring and is going to retire for the next 10 or 15 years. Um, and you say, well, there's less people behind them for things like Social Security, meaning less people working to pay the Social Security taxes that, that are going to support that. But then you have this actually very large group, the you know the Gen Z and the, I don't even know what they call the generation after Gen Z, but um, th there's actually another big bubble of people coming in to kind of fill this gap. Where those overlaps happen, you know that that's a question for demographers. Um, look, I, I think we <laughs> I think we all forget that regardless of recession, regardless of inflation, bad news, wars, whatever. I like to say that everybody will continue to buy toothpaste and toilet paper, sometimes in excessive quantities, right? That that if anything bad happens, 
we're still going to eat. We're still going to keep the lights on. We're still going to buy the things we need to buy. And that's what generally drives the economy. The question is, how much excess stuff can it get? You know, are you going to hold off and buying the iPhone 37? Or are you going to hold off trading up from your 65-inch flat screen to your 85-inch flat screen TV? So there's going to be some probably some impact to discretionary purchasing. I think people will probably dial that back a little bit. Um, but fundamentally, people still will consume gasoline. They'll still consume food. They'll still consume, you know. But different industries go through different cycles based on, you know, what, what people who are reading the tea leaves are saying. I don't really tend to worry about that stuff too much. What I worry about is, is my individual client on their individual economy level, are they safe? Are they protected from the bad stuff that we know can happen to good people? And, and make sure that they don't suffer a preventable economic loss. That's the first thing. We put a backstop behind it. Once those risks are off the table and we don't have to worry about that stuff, we can prevent the preventable, then it's how much does this individual person need to set aside of the cash flow that they're bringing in to have a good a reserve, to have a good amount of savings, and then where do they accumulate and capture and magnify and leverage uh, their wealth? And as long as they're doing that, we, we as individuals don't really have that much impact on the whole economy. I think there's the economy of one or the economy of one's family. That's the thing to really focus on. It's really easy to get sucked into all this news. Well, you don't make Fed policy. You don't make Treasury policy. You don't pass IRS laws. You just have to say, okay, within what I'm allowed to do, what's available, what's optimal for me, and if you stick to that and, and don't waver, uh, you can do some amazing things, and especially the younger you are, the more you have time on your side, and things like compound interest can really have an incredible uh, effect. The people who are really squeezed are the people who delayed and delayed and delayed and said planning was boring and retirement's 30 years away, and all of a sudden 30 years go by and you have no money. And so um, I, I, I don't believe in the traditional definition of retirement of sitting around in the desert you know, playing golf and doing nothing. Uh, I, I think retirement is just simply having a choice of what you do with your time because you have enough cash flow to support it. And as long as you have that, that's that's success. I think unless you're a pro surfer having an awfully good time, I think most people would just generally say, hey, if I had enough money to pay all my bills and live the way I want to live, it probably wouldn't work. Right. That's independently wealthy. That's that's that financial independence thing. Everybody's seeking. That is. And that's that's a life. Uh, the way you're describing it's a life by design. Right. So you're literally telling people, look, what is it that you're looking for? Let's secure the bottom of this bucket here. Let's secure the essentials that you need for your own personal retirement. And then let's look at everything else to secure the lifestyle that you're looking for. And that's kind of where the where the planning comes into place. What about, because we're talking about higher income earners, what about legacy planning? There's a lot of higher income earners that are like, look, I put enough money away. I've made those basic calculations. I got my four, five, $10 million put away in assets to cover my lifestyle. But I want to make sure I leave something behind to that next generation. I want to give my kids a head start. I want my grandchildren to have college paid for. Um, what are some of those strategies that they can implement or put into place or should be thinking about as they start entering retirement age for their legacy planning? Legacy planning is like literally one of my favorite topics because I think a lot of people think of legacy planning all as after your day. And in fact, legacy planning can actually occur and should occur while you're alive, both to sort of enjoy and observe the impact of that planning, but also to know and be able to communicate what you've done to that 
uh, maybe that next generation. I believe there's two different entities that we want to impact with our legacy planning. That's people and organizations, right? So people that we, look, we you know, know, love, and like, uh, probably family, maybe a few others, uh, and then the organizations whose work we believe in, right? Charitable, religious, service organizations, uh, educational institutions. One of the things I think that I, I try to get people to not do, if, if possible, is, is worrying about carving out a chunk of their assets to leave behind. Because my personal feeling is that you should really enjoy the, the fruits of your labor. Like you should use your money. The, the best thing to leave behind uh, is actually life insurance. Why? Because it's probate free, tax free. And for a very, very small amount of premium, I can specifically earmark exactly how much money I want to leave, leave it in a tax-free manner, because death benefits are tax-free, um, and, and have to be very precise. And I can actually control how that money is distributed if I want to. Like, I don't have to leave it directly. I can leave it in trust, right? So I might say, well, you know, I want to leave money to these folks, but I'm not really sure about their financial acumen. Okay, I'm going to leave it in trust and have it professionally and fiduciarily managed, maybe to produce income for a large number of years and then ultimately distribute the principal. Maybe I have a really big charitable interest. This is especially attractive to your really high net worth folks. But let's say I have some highly appreciated stock or real estate that I, I don't think I'm going to need. Well, I could gift that money into something that's called a charitable trust, and I could gift that money. Uh, it's gifted to a nonprofit they get to sell that asset within the nonprofit trust. It's called a charitable, usually a charitable remainder trust, or what's called a lead trust is another way to do it. But basically, a charitable trust sells that asset. There's no capital gain. So 100% of the asset's value can then be invested to produce income. And then ultimately, at some point in the future, say 20 years out, the remainder goes to the charity. Well, to encourage people to do that, the government grants a huge tax deduction for that. So uh, it's part of the charitable giving part of the tax code. And so I could gift a $10 million piece of property or a $10 million portfolio or a $1 million, doesn't matter what the number is. Uh, I can get a tax deduction. And I, if I can't use that entire tax deduction this year, that can actually be carried forward for multiple years until I consume the entire tax deduction. And I can actually generate uh, cash flow. So, for example, let's say you were a real estate investor for a really long period of time. And you've got all these apartments and properties and it was all awesome. But you know what? I'm tired of toilets and tenants, as I like to call it, uh, cleaning toilets and dealing with tenants. But I bought this 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 apartment building for $100,000 or $500,000. Now it's worth $5 million, and I don't want to pay the capital gains taxes. Well, gift it away, turn the entire value into an investable asset, turn that asset into a cash flow, and then get a huge tax deduction for having made that uh, gift. So that's just one example of legacy planning. Uh, that you can do. Uh, a lot of people have IRAs. Uh, they've changed laws about IRAs and inherited IRAs, what are called non-spousal inherited IRAs. And so um, those things are kind of forced to be distributed over 10 years just to be able to stretch it out over your lifetime. And so uh, a lot of people are distributing them now, uh, paying the taxes now on the smaller balances and then taking that money and turning it into either uh, other assets or into life insurance to transfer more wealth. So let's say I had a $250,000 IRA, it's not necessarily a life-changing amount. Well, if I distributed that over the next 10 years and I did 10 $25,000 payments into life insurance policy, but now all of a sudden I might be able to distribute $5 million tax-free of the next generation. That's incredible leverage. 
And so those are kind of some of the things that I like to talk with people about because they might not be aware that you can do that kind of thing. Yeah, I wasn't aware you could do that. I mean, so so basically what you're describing is we're able to take the distribution of these IRAs, which are tax deferred, so we're going to make uh, nominal tax payments because we're not taking a huge chunk out front, turning around and then buying a life policy so that we're essentially building a nice little legacy that we live behind upon death, right? I mean, did I get did I get that correct? Yeah, it's basically it's an IRA conversion strategy spread the tax liability out now over, you know, say 10 years, then use the proceeds of each annual distribution to fund that life insurance policy. And that modest premium automatically blossoms or magnifies into a much larger death benefit. And now I can name my beneficiaries. I can even do split beneficiaries. I can say, I want, you know, 25% to each of my four kids. I can do 20% to my church and, you know, 80% to my family. So I've got a lot of control uh, an IRA is actually a terrible asset to inherit for a lot of reasons. It's way better, way simpler, way cleaner to have life insurance beneficiaries. And again, at that magnified level, and again, no probate, which is a court deciding who owns what. Uh, so it has a directly named beneficiary. So does an IRA, by the way, but but it's, it's kind of more controllable. Uh, and then um, but the big thing is a tax-free distribution. They literally get a check and they get to keep the check. If the person uh, receiving the money is either a minor or someone you don't think is going to manage the money properly, again, it can be left in trust with all kinds of rules on how the income and ultimately the principal is distributed. But that's much better legacy planning than just, you know, hey, when I'm done with it, whoever gets it, gets it, and whatever they do is get left. I think they're wasting the opportunity. Uh, of course, it requires someone who's insurable and all that kind of stuff, you know, medically qualified. But uh, for a lot of people, that's a really, really good uh, strategy if they have the folks that they want to leave money to or organizations. Uh, and by the way, when you leave it to um, certain organizations, you can actually qualify for tax deduction for that as well, right? Because it's a charitable request. So those charitable contributions, we we can carry them over for a number of years, which makes it super awesome to have those those charitable deductions. Uh, they definitely help, and you're liquidating an asset that you're probably not going to take with you anyways, and still utilizing the cash flow. So that's that's all positive things. What about uh when 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 we talk real estate investors, a lot of times they have multiple entities. Maybe it's one specific entity for their real estate practice. Maybe they have different entities for individual commercial properties or residential properties that they own. Um, when it comes to planning all this stuff, is there do they like consolidate entities at the end? Does a does a trust end up owning things? Like when you see clients come to you and they kind of have mismatched stuff because let's face it, at the very big you know for me twenty years ago, the 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 lesson was you buy you you start a new LLC for every individual property that you own. Later on, it's like no, you don't need to do that. This is how you wrap it in a trust. Like every everybody you go to has a different strategy. When they show up to you with multiple entities like that, do you kind of restructure them for an exit strategy does that look different than when they're building well i think the, the the biggest problem here is complexity right if if when i when i look at this i think about the executor or trustee of this client so the client's gone all the explanation all the background story is gone it's not available right here i am and i'm trying to sort through all this paper and I've got all these different entities and all these different structures, and I have no idea what, why, or how. Uh, it's a nightmare, right? And so 
one of the big things that always surprises me is that people will set up the LLCs for liability protection, right? Basically silo each of these properties into its own little entity. I think to some degree falsely believing that, you know, they're, they're safe from creditors. I, I don't really buy that. That's not what I've seen. Uh, I think any decent lawyer can pierce that pretty well. One of the major reasons why, and for your listeners who have LLCs, this is kind of a, I'm pleading with you to go, go back and, and fix this. If you don't follow the rules of um, adequately documenting the LLC, if they can show you, even if it's just you, if you didn't hold meetings and do declarations and uh, follow meeting minutes, and stuff, if you didn't do the stuff that actually makes it look like a real LLC, they can invalidate your LLC. Because they say, hey, produce the records. You're like, I don't have the records. Boom. Your LLC is gone. All the supposed liability protection is gone. And now you're fully exposed. The other thing is that what people tend to do is use one mechanism and think it covers everything. And the reality is that most of these folks, especially the ones who are very well-to-do and have a lot of assets and a lot of property and are wonderful lawsuit targets, uh, what they should be doing is setting up what's called an asset protection trust in an asset protection and trust-friendly state. This is another thing people don't realize. I live in whatever state I live in, People think your estate planning has to exclusively be done in your state. Now, aspects of it have to be. But I can actually have a trust based in another state. Uh, for example, Nevada has passed, their legislature has passed very trust-friendly rules. And it's good to have your trust, this is a little legal term, situs, S-I-T-U-S. It's the site of your trust, situs, Latin, um, in a trust-friendly state. And so we want to create an asset protection trust and lump all that stuff by schedule, actually listing all the LLCs and stuff, get it into the asset protection trust. Now it's got a full, real complete uh, layer of protection. By the way, I'm not giving legal advice here at all or tax advice. I'm just making people aware of what's out there. Um, and so you make that part of your estate plan. So business owners, real estate investors definitely should be doing full estate plans. They should have living trusts. They should have asset protection trusts, child protection trusts, which ultimately become you know money management tools for kids. Uh, we should be naming guardians for our children. That's something I like jump up and down on a soapbox for. How could you have children say you're there to protect them and then not have legal guardians established in your will for who's going to take care of these folks and who's going to take care of your money? And so um, business owners... Everybody, I mean, business owners are people too, right? But business owners especially need to integrate their retirement and their estate and, and asset protection strategies as a package of overall techniques and not in these little isolated things because it's not going to work. Um, they're, they're still leaving themselves exposed, in my opinion, and creating a nightmare of complexity for the people they entrust to deal with it after the fact. They don't name guardians because they don't plan on dying. I don't think anybody else, any of us really plan on it. Unfortunately, it's going to happen to all of us. All right. Before we head out, I want to make sure people are aware of what they can find when they're, or how, how they can actually work with you. Uh, we got your website scrolling across the bottom, retirementsecuritysolutions.com. Uh, if people were to go there, they were interested in finding out more about what it is that you do. How can, how can they, how can they do that? Yeah, I think, you know, this all starts with a conversation. I believe that the relationship between the financial planner and the client needs to be one of a really good fit. You know, I, I've tried here in this kind of quick conversation uh, to share some of my philosophies, some, some of my beliefs. My first plea is do something. Do some planning with someone. 
uh, don't just let this stuff sit there, you know, unaddressed. If, if you feel like I'm a good fit, uh, let's at least have a conversation. You can go to that retirement, retirement security solutions.com, uh, set up an appointment. We'll have a conversation. No obligation. Uh, I'll, I'll listen to what you have to say. I really want to know what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, what we do is we look at your physical assets, your financial assets, and your income assets. And we try to optimize all of those things so that anything that could be lost, damaged, or stolen can be repaired or replaced. We protect your financial assets from uh, threats to like your savings, your investments, your home equity. And then your largest asset is your income, the revenue you're producing now throughout your, you know, your labor, your wages, your investing. Uh, and then we say, hey, what, what do we need to do to put you in the best position to live the life you want to live the way you want to live it? I don't have any biases. I'm not like, oh, there's only one way to do this or there's only one tool or technique. Um, I can do whatever someone needs, but I'm going to tell them the truth. And I'm generally going to probably, if anybody needs to know, I'm going to probably defy conventional wisdom a lot because I think conventional wisdom is wrong, <laughs> frankly, uh, and, and causes people a lot of harm, like this little LLC thing we talked about. Um, it's just real easy to buy into what the, the banks are telling you, oh, pay your mortgage off early. That's just so the bank can recycle your money and lend it out again. You can store up those extra payments to pay off your mortgage. If you choose to write a check down the road, you can do that and pay off the mortgage. It's just a lot of games from the banks and Wall Street and the IRS that make people do the wrong stuff and they end up short-circuiting their success. And that's exactly why you need to speak to a professional about it. I mean, let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the day, you're not thinking about your money as often as Barry is. You're not thinking about your estate plan as often as Barry is. You're not thinking about your tax strategy as often as Barry is. So if you're not thinking about it, why aren't you looking for somebody who can help you do that, especially somebody who's in that space? And Barry's definitely doing that. Ladies and gentlemen, one more time, his website, scrolling across the bottom, retirementsecuritysolutions.com retirementsecuritysolutions.com. Barry, I got one question for you, man. You've been on a number of different shows. You've uh, you've shared your content a number of different times. Uh, what's been your experience like creating content with the business bros? Oh, this, you know, I, what I really like is that you understand the need to help me get my message out to my audience. And you've asked some really great uh, questions and also added some of your own insights. I think that added some really good uh, uh, flavor. You guys are the most fun, that's for sure. And all the, <laughs> all the graphics and videos and all that kind of stuff. It's real, uh, real high energy. I think sometimes uh, the uh, the shows can be a little bit, a little bit dull. So this has been, uh, this has been fun. Uh, I got to up my graphics game, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll show you. We'll definitely show you how to do that. All right, ladies and gents. Retirement planning, it's a thing. It's coming whether you like it to or not. It's just part of life. You got to get yourself in a position where you're taking care of your money because otherwise somebody's going to end up taking care of you and it might not be the way you intended. So make sure you step in front of it and just get on it. I mean, I get it. Sometimes you didn't do good at math class. You struggle with some numbers and it's okay. In real life, you don't got to calculate it all yourself. You can find a buddy who's really good like Barry and get the answers that you're looking for. So get the help you need uh, and make sure you guys go to his website. It's Retirement Security solutions.com barry thank you very much for being on the program today ladies and gents we'll catch you guys on the next one peace and we're out it's over go home is your business in need of marketing try starting a podcast but not just any podcast podcast like a pro we can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today Business Pro!